When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from iLikeYou.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at iLikeYou.com. Now, let's get started. I'm Tracy Koga with something short and fun. This is a Hugh Soundbite. From the beginning to where you are today. So I'm going to start with ladies first. Usono, tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up and your journey to Winnipeg? Well, I was born in British Columbia. At, at that time, the place where I was born was called Port Hammond, BC, but now it's all Maple Ridge or whatever. And I must have been in grade three or four. And then we had to. Um, after the you know when the war broke out, we had to move out of the farm, and it was only as what 24 hours notice or whatever. And I was you know small, and I was didn't know anything too much about all this. And we went, and next thing you know, we were in Hastings Park, and my father and my brother Bob, well, they had to, you know, they were in the pavilion building, and we were in the exhibition building, and where all the bunkhouses were separated with army blankets for each family. And, and at that time, there was a big wall beside the, you know, that Hastings Park where we were. And I think the exhibition was going on because there was a lot of noise on the other side of that wall. And I don't know how long we stayed there. Being a young child, you know, you know, girl, I, I can't remember everything. And next thing you know, we moved to New, we were we moved to New Denver, and I think we were there for about four, five. I'm not too sure. But it was nice. It was all Japanese, and all the Japanese the girls got to know the girls from the city, and urban, and from the country girls. You know, we all got together, and that's where I learned to swim and, and get, get on a pair of ice skates. I'd never seen one before in my life. But the girls from the city would, you know, they would have it, and we used to go in a, a frozen pond up in Harrison Ranch and try to skate and get on a pair of skates anyway. 
And that's where I learned to swim, right by Sultan Lake, because there was a beautiful lake by Ndemo where we stayed. That's where I learned to swim. I really enjoyed that part of it. And then we, and then they used to have, some, sometimes they used to have concerts when I was there. I mean, we get have a, a variety show, you know, concerts. And that's where I learned to do a little bit of odori. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was kind of nice. And I didn't have an odori dress, but mother somehow made one for me. She had some kind of a material and put it together. And, and that's what I did with a lot of odori dances with my girlfriend and all, you know, the girls that I got to know. We used to all get together and go and get into this concert, whatever they're going to have for that. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like for a child at, at your age, it was okay. But did you ever have a sense from your parents that things weren't totally Well, for that, I think my father was really, you know, my father and mother, yes. Of course, they leave everything behind. And they only took the bare necessity. But one thing that mother always insisted that she take that sewing machine with her. So the sewing machine followed wherever we went. But a lot of, you know, a lot of things we just had to leave behind in a bedroom upstairs. And dad nailed the board against the wall, the door, and make sure that nobody would enter it and, and uh, whatever. But next thing you know, we didn't go back to see it anyway, so. Well, and you're here with your son. So how did you meet your husband, Mr. Tully? Yeah. Well, from New Denver, we had to go someplace, and my, my oldest brother, yes, was in Winnipeg, and so we came to Winnipeg, and we were in um, an army barracks, someplace in Trashcona, someplace for a while, when we came to uh, Winnipeg, because we had no place to go at that time, and all the Japanese were in uh, some army barracks, I'm sure. But anyways, then we had, well, of course, we can't live in that barracks all the time. My brother said, oh, there you go to Sugar Beet Farm. I said, well, yes. I said, even when I was a kid, I said, no, we should, no, stay in Winnipeg. And then, you know, we can go to school. And then and as we get older, we'll be able to help with the pay, pay, you know, for the house and whatever. No, he kept insisting we go to the farm. So we, we did, that's how we ended up at Tully's, Tully's Sugar Beet Farm. And I can remember being driven out to the country. And I can remember this field of yellow, I guess it was yellow, feel of yellow. It looked so nice, but it was, I guess it was mustard or whatever. But anyways, at that time when we moved, I think the next spring, I think all the Japanese that were there before at Tully's, like the Kaidas and Nakais and uh, Tezumis and Hiro, they, were all, they were all moving into Winnipeg because they had bought a property, I guess, on outskirts of Winnipeg, and that's where all went. They were there for, what, seven years or so, I guess. And then the next batch came. And of course, when we moved there, and a lot of the... Japanese have moved away. They, the Tullys would bring in Dutch family and Germans and the Polish and, you know, from Europe. And they were, it was just like a United Nations. We're all working together, picking roots and doing sugar beets. And yeah, it was just, and we all kind of got together somehow. And then, of course, Mr. Tully had a daughter named Joyce. And Lauren was there, too. And, you know, and, and I got to be a good friend with Joyce. And we used to chum around and play baseball catch or whatever, you know, ride a bicycle to the neighbors to visit. Joyce and I would do that. And I got to know them quite well. And the Mizunos were there too at the Tullys at that time. So what was it about your husband? <laughs> well, he used to, he was on and drove us to, out to the field, you know, out to the shoe field and that, and he used to drive us to the I don't really know. Somehow, Lauren wasn't that older than jo much older than Joyce, and then and Lauren would be there all the time or whatever. I don't really know exactly how. He 
<laughs> you existed there somehow. Well, there would be um, telephone office. Oh, yeah. <coughs> and then, of course, it got so that when we, um, me, Dad bought a, you know, when we moved from Tully's farm and Dad bought a, a, blo a how would you say, the whole section on the, the a block. A block. And it was a, a place that just had a, an old brick house and just a rundown kind of a greenhouse. And Dad was aiming for the greenhouse. I guess that's what he wanted to do, kind of a market garden. So he bought the place, but the house was nothing to, you know, praise about or anything. There was a roll of willow trees, I think. It was in the front of the property, but it was a lane of willow trees, and it, it looked so... Well, first thing Dad did was chop it all down, and I remember a lady that when I was working at the telephone, she said to me, I'm sure glad your dad cut all that tree down. It was kind of spooky, she said. It made the <laughs> house look spooky or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, and I started working at the telephone office, and of course, Lauren would be there when I was finished work to drive me home with this and that, and I told him not to, not to bother. <laughs> not to bother you? Terry, <laughs> for you, uh, growing up, um, stories about your dad. Lauren and your mom, did they share any of the history? No, not really. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Dad was crazy about mom, of course. Um, he always said, love is a itch in your heart that you can't scratch. Anyway. Uh, but no, no, they didn't say anything about uh, that. And for us, we didn't know any better. Uh, and to going to school, uh, Tim and I, it was a in grade one, it was about two miles away, one room schoolhouse, grade one to eight, and then that summer, this, the summer afterwards, they built a second room, so it was became a two room schoolhouse, and um, we're all kids, and nobody said anything. We didn't know any different. Everybody was the same as as everybody else. It wasn't until we got to high school that uh, there was a sort of a noticeable difference. Not a big deal, but you know, you, you could just tell that, you know, we were different from everybody else because they didn't grow up with them. And then one day... They told I, they, the, uh, wasn't it at the high school they said that Tully twins and they said they're not twins, they don't even look alike. <laughs> and there was another set of twins, but and they really were looked alike. Anyway, one day I uh, went home with uh, one, of our, one of my friends uh, from high school, David Taylor. Oh, my God. So, and for lunch, and uh, introduced me to his parents, and they went, Tully, oh, yeah, we know about you guys. I said, huh? <laughs> and so apparently, when mom and dad got married, they eloped in 53 in the spring. Uh, it was a bit of a scandal, in a way, because it was mixed marriage. It's pretty soon after the war. Everybody knew about us, but we had no idea what was going on. And then um, we started asking some questions and um, kind of got a little bit more of a, started to get a little bit more of an inkling of, uh, of the background of what was going on. And for yourself, Usano, did you ever feel different? Isn't that funny? No, not really. Because, you know, it would, I don't know, I, well, I really didn't. <laughs> People were pretty accepting at, 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 at the time. It seemed like everybody was in the same boat. Uh, you sort of like, not quite middle class, but working class, 
uh, people coming from the farm in the high school that I went to, Arthur Meehan, a, a lot of the kids were from the from Southport, the Air Force Base. And so they'd be changing every year. You know, you could make some friends, but then they'd be moving on. There wasn't any real... I shouldn't say there wasn't any real prejudice. There really wasn't. But, you know, you knew you, you, knew you were different, and sometimes they would, you know, sort of let you know that you were different uh, just from the way you looked. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, it didn't... It wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing necessarily. And as it turned out, later on, it was actually an advantage... Uh, and Grandpa Tully, you know, Lauren's father yeah. was really good to the twins. And he was very, you know, he was very understanding. Yeah. And all the Tully families, we all got together. You know, we got along, though. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it sounds, though, the Tullys really appreciated all of the immigrants that they brought on. And especially... I think especially the Japanese, yes. That's right, yes. Yeah. And, and he did treat everybody very well. When the sugar beet is finished in the fall, they used to clean that shop of Tully's, and then all the Japanese would, would supply a little bit, you know, take a little bit, like a potluck get-together. That's what we did at the shop. Then, they, you know, they'd clean that shop, and all the Japanese all get together, and then they'd bring the potluck supplement, have all get together. Yeah, we did that every fall until most of the Japanese moved away at, after that. But uh, Yeah, and at that time, I think I met Lauren's mother once, and then she passed away. And she was a very nice woman, yes. All the Japanese really, really liked her. She was so nice, yeah. A lot of the people who, um, all of, excuse me, a lot of the immigrants, etc., uh, came to the farm directly from Europe or wherever they were from. Up until even a couple of years ago, every so often you'd get a knock on the door. Is this Tully's? Is it, yeah. Is it still Tully's? Said, yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, earlier on, it was like, well, my my grandfather and my grandmother got their start here, and he wants to look around. Is that okay? So sure, sure. And I said, oh yeah, it'd be nice to talk to somebody. So well, mom and dad just live across the road. You can go see them if you want. They're still here. I said, yeah, <laughs> right over there. Uh, and and that just happened over and over and over and over again until yeah, a couple of years ago, and then. Not so much now, but yeah, because there was yeah. a Dutch family that um, they, they, you know, he milked the, the son milked the cow and that, and he was same age as Lauren and the same birthday date and everything else. But they moved to Ontario and bought a dairy farm. The, the him and his wife they were traveling through Canada and they came to visit us, stayed, spent a couple of nights with us, you know, and and uh, yeah, they and they reminisces about the olden days of living at Tully's. <laughs> yeah, and then there's um. One of those Sato girls, Fred Osato, I don't know if you know them or not. But a lot of, anyway, Fred Osato used to have a grocery store when that big, but he's long gone. But they used to live at the Tully's Osato family. And one of them, Ruth, was the one that came back and, and uh, came to the farm to visit. And she was saying the first thing she noticed about the farm was the trees were growing so tall. And she said she thought the shop and that looked so big, but now she says sure it doesn't look very big. She said, yeah, they were kind of reminiscing the the, the yard and that, you know. And then they, she asked me if Jack was around, like Lauren's older brother. And, oh yes, I said he's still around. And she wanted to meet him because I guess, you know, because they knew them when they were living there. So yes, she was yeah.
And then a lot of uh, others came around. The Hiroka boy, one of them came mm -hmm. along from St. Claude. Oh, was she not married to a, Saint a girl from St. Claude? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, she was the, one of the Hiroka boys came. Well, it, it just sounds like you're one big, huge, happy family. So I'm just curious, now if you look back, Usono, and everything that you've lived through, the hardships and the good times, you've raised a family. Would you have changed anything? Well, uh, well, I think, no. I think a lot of times, uh, a lot of times it's, it kind of helps you when you have, you know, go through hard times, sort of. And you appreciate the future. And, you know, I appreciate now that, I have, you know, and I've lived in an apartment and all the work I used to do. And, you know, when you think back, you wonder how you ever did it, you know, sort <laughs> of a thing. And everybody would say, when anybody would phone me and says, what are you doing today? I said, no, heck of a lot. And she said, well, it's about time. You don't need to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for yourself, Terry, now that you know more about your mom and dad and yourself, a farmer, I think doesn't, I think life really become more rich when you know a little bit more about? Well, when you, when you know you more about... You appreciate things more, I think. When you know more about your past and, and, and all that. Uh, it, it, it draws you in more. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, 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 mom and dad said, you know what, you should, you should, go, to, uh, you should go to New Denver. There's a, there's a museum there, it's beautiful. Because they had gone through there a couple of years before that. So Kathy and I did a road trip and yeah, it was really interesting. And the museum was there um, and we went in and we, you know, like, signed uh, the book and all of that. And then, what, the following year, we get a phone call from um, this woman whose name escapes me right now, who was writing a book about the Slocan Valley. And each section would have a, you know, a different sort of ethnic group that was there, the Duke of Boers, then Japanese Canadians. And so she phoned me and she was asking me about that because she had read my name in the... Comment on in that the, and she was talking and said, well, you should really ask mom about that. She's still there? I said, yeah, she's just <laughs> next door. You know, so she, she phoned mom and talked to her. Um, and um, so mom's in your book. It was kind of like, okay, that was interesting. It was fascinating that people started to take an interest in, in this, especially when the redress was, was coming along. And uh, there was more interest in... in ethnic groups, etc. Right next door to us is a Hutterite colony, Elm River Hutterite colony. And one of the teachers there, uh, one project she had a number of years ago was to uh, ask different uh, ethnic uh, groups to, you know, have it send someone in to talk to their, the kids about how you got here. And so she approached mom and mom foisted it on me. <laughs> And so I, you know, got wrote down the, the history of the stuff for the. I guess I interviewed my own mother, and <laughs> and went there and had some books and, uh, that I could you know, refer you take, to. Did you not take sushi? No, know. no, I didn't. I thought I got no. had a sushi or something. No, no, no. And so I was talking to the class, and and one of the fellows there, uh, Herbie, uh, who you know ran the computer program there, afterwards came up to me and said. That we knew Herbie pretty well, and he said, yeah, "We've been neighbors all our lives, and I had no idea about the the Japanese community and what happened and how they got here." And he was just shocked, and I thought, 
I thought everybody had kind of, obviously, they didn't have an idea of how we, they got here. And so I was thinking, gee, a little bit more education would help everybody, <laughs> uh, not just for us, but on how we got, how mom and got here, but how the other ethnic groups got there as well. Because, of course, the Ukrainians uh, early in the, earlier in the century uh, had their issues as well with the, uh, with the government interning them, uh, etc. So. We're obviously learning today about the Tully farm, the Tully family, how they've opened up their arms to our community, Japanese Canadians. I just want maybe lastly, if Lauren was here, your dad, your husband, what would he say? Well, I'm sure he'd be glad to know that he, how, he was happy to get to know the Japanese because he said, when I got to know him quite well, he said, you know, I should look at the magazine and see this Hawaiian girls, he says, you know, and I often wondered, I sure would like to meet, and you're about the closest I'll get to a Hawaiian <laughs> girl, he said. He said to me. Oh. It was interesting, yeah. I, um, I remember at our wedding, uh, my good friend Andy and, and uh, was sitting beside Dad and, you know, they were talking, and Dad pulls out his wallet and figures out this picture of Mom, a little bit younger, uh, just showing off. <laughs> One quick little story, okay. So things changed when I hit university. Uh, it, was the, uh, it was the early 70s. <coughs> so being different uh, was really cool. So suddenly that changed a lot of things. And I remember I was uh, one summer, uh, had some money. I went to Europe and, you know, doing the ruins. So I'm in Greece, yeah, and I'm in a taverna with all the other, you know, kids, and we're talking away. And this one girl across the table kept looking at me. And I thought, okay, I get it. I've, I've, been, I've been getting this the whole trip because Asians didn't travel at that time. So then they didn't quite understand what I was or who I was. And so she kept looking at me and said, oh, let her stew on this. So finally, she couldn't stand it any longer. She said, I give up. What are you? And I said, I'm Canadian. You're an Eskimo. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I'm not. Well, I'm sure he'd be very proud of both of you today. Um, thank you so much. for listening. This has been a production of ilikeyou.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hi. 
I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.